0: My uh, story here at Watermark is I I had the privilege of being around for about 18 years. And so I have got to see and do and watch a lot of really, really neat things happen. And one of my passions over the years has been this whole community subject because I think it's a game changer. I think it's been a game changer in my personal life. I think it's a game changer the way God laid it out. It's a game changer in many of my best friends that are sitting you know, in the first couple of rows here that we've been doing life now for many, many years. But the passion starts a little bit before all of that. I uh, I came to know Christ in uh, 1970 through a ministry called Young Life. And why that was significant, yeah, it's only a bunch of Aggies. Uh, The reason why that was important is because that was really the kind of the head of the spear for what was known as the Jesus movement and where the whole message of Christ was taken to our generation in a new and a fresh way. And the reason why that came about, that in, 19, in the 1950s, after World War II, the churches were just losing all of their teenagers. And so uh, as it rolled into the 60s, the question was going, you know what? We could keep changing programs. And then a few smart people came along and said, hey, what if we go back to the Bible and we talk about... What's important to teenagers is a relationship with Jesus Christ, not performing or looking Christian, but to have a real life-changing relationship with the God who created them. Wouldn't that be a novel idea? And so they did, and they took what was once the focal point of a Sunday school on Sunday morning, and they took the message of Christ out to where the kids were. And the next thing you know, their environment was one of couches and beanbag chairs where they sat around and they talked about, is God real? And what difference does that make to me? And the Holy Spirit honored that, that big movement, late 60s, early 70s, and literally changed the course of what we see in Bible churches today. Because the corpus of those folks came out, came to know Christ during that time, because they decided not to do things to look a certain way, but they did things for a reason. And this all ties back into community in this way. We don't do community so that we can look Christian. We're not going to change our world with couches and beanbags, You know, that was the interesting thing. All the churches were trying to catch up with these parachurch ministries. And you know what they were doing? They weren't changing the message. They were changing the furniture. They're changing their youth departments to have couches and beanbag chairs and thinking that's gonna change their program. But that's what they kept calling is a program. Then churches started figuring out because, hey, it is about relationship. And young people were interested in knowing who God is, and can they have a relationship with Him? They weren't interested in performing or looking a certain way. When we start talking about community, it's the same thing. We're not changing couches and beanbag chairs. You've got to know why community is so important. I'm one of many, many people that could stand up here tonight and tell you the different tricks and trades and the how-tos of what a community does and looks like and the elements, and they're all important. But if you miss the biggest question, which is why we do community, why God has given us community, then you'll spend your life just missing the target. Because when you answer the question why, then it's just a matter of just putting the pieces together. Because the why will drive you. It'll drive you with a desperation that you need people in your life and that it saves marriages, and it saves families, and it saves you. I could give you, really, I started with a list of about eight things, but I want to give you three things tonight real quickly in our time together of why community is so vitally important to a marriage. First one, it's pretty simple. Just because community is the antithesis of isolation, And isolation is the fastest path to destruction in your personal life, in your married life, your family life. See, isolation has this element we know in Proverbs 18 where it says, he who seeks his own way argues against all sound wisdom or counsel. And the idea was, Anybody in the right mind knows that if you just try to run your own offense, it is a matter of time. It is a certainty that you'll drive your bus off the cliff. And you know it's true. I did some uh, soul searching a while back. Not that this is any revelation. Most people come to the same conclusion. I decided there are two common denominators in every dumb thing I've ever done. Every mistake I've ever made every sorry thing I wish I could have back, and every stupid thought I even had, those two things are me and isolation. With very, very few exceptions, can I look back over my last 60-plus years and say when I had people speaking into my life, did I really do stupid things? But you see, we're drawn to that, like a moth to a fire, you know, that, the scriptures warn us about that. Left to our own ways, we're going to destroy ourselves. But God has made some great provisions for us, but we'll talk about that in just a second. But this idea of isolation is that place where you are on a course of destruction. It also, isolation also takes the oxygen out of a room. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, a few years back, uh, Susan, and I, my wife, and I were doing a little scuba diving in Cozumel. And it was a beautiful thing. You know, we're down about 60 feet, and we're with our little dive instructors, and we're all, you know, moving along, <laughs> looking real cute. And we're swimming down this beautiful reef that's 60 feet below sea level. And I'm with the current, and everything's wonderful. We got to the end of this garden wreath area, And then we had to go back into the current. And I was swimming as hard as I could. And I wasn't moving an inch. Susan had grabbed onto the ankle of the swim instructor, the dive instructor, which was smart. (laughs) Although I was her buddy. (laughs) She swims on. (laughs) Meanwhile, I'm (laughs) 60 feet down. I hit the last suck of air. (laughs) A really interesting feeling. Because when you're breathing hard and you're working and they're leaving you and you're going, ah, and uh, you've hit the end of your road. I ran out of options. I didn't have time to process. I didn't do the, I had one choice. I did the very thing they tell you not to do when they teach you to scuba dive. And that's ascend at 4,000 miles an hour. (laughs) You're supposed to go up at the size of a dime. My bubbles were this big by the time I got to the water. I looked like Flipper when I got to the water. You could see my ankles because I was so scared. And I always think back on that, and I think, you know, is that not really what life happens when you choose to run your own deal? Because there is going to come a time when you swim into the current. And if you are alone, that will be your result. And God tells us that. He tells us pleading with us going, man, don't put yourself in that situation. I'm telling you, it's going to happen. Please be with one another. I've made a provision for you. When you trusted me, I gave you my very spirit. I reside in you. I've given you my living word to read and instruct, but I've also given you people to walk alongside so that they might be a, a package deal where they can help you understand these things and keep you on the rails. Because if you don't use that third piece, you will find yourself off the rails. And you go, interesting. Doesn't that really happen? So, my, And I also say that isolation is the place where ideas and dreams go to die. Because left to yourself, you go, I don't know. Can I do that? Should I do that? I don't know. And so the dreams and vision and what you would like to maybe do with your life, they die. Where they are incubated and given life and breath in, in a dimension and vision when you have people that come alongside you and ask questions, say, can you do? Would, how would that look? Do these things. They breathe life into your dreams. But dreams die when, you're on your, when you sit by yourself. It's isolation. So the second reason that I, I'm going to make an argument that your marriage needs community is that you have an enemy. And I'd like to I'm just big on this. This is John 10.10. 10. This is First Peter, you know, uh, but John 10, 10 says, the thief has come to kill, steal, and destroy. And what we have done so many times in our marriage and in many portions of our life is that we have made that person that we share this house with the enemy and we've missed who the enemy is. We turn on each other and all we've done is we've played into the hand of the very one that wants to kill, steal, and destroy us. Because what's he do? He... The devil wants to kill your pursuit of one another. What's one of the most important things you do in a marriage between a husband and wife is that you make each other valued, that you pursue one another, that they're reminded that they're important. So when the devil gets his hand in the middle of it, that he starts to kill a desire to pursue your husband or pursue your wife. And then pretty soon they go, that starts to die on the vine. And so then you make each other out to be the enemy and Satan's going, gotcha. Because that's his desire is to break that up, to kill your passion, your, your desire, and your pursuit of one another. And so what we do is we spend so much energy going at each other because we, we have misplaced, we've forgotten who the enemy is. It sounds like my phone, I thought I left it out there. The second thing is that it steals and it steals your joy. You remember the joy you have when you entered a relationship? Well, Satan would like very much to destroy that. He wants to ruin your hope that you can get through this or you can get over this or that you can forgive one another. He's going, no, but he's not worth it. She's not worth it. And all you do is you have an enemy that's trying to kick your butt. And he's really good. And Peter warns us, this is like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Well, does that sound like a passive enemy? And yet we play into it when we isolate. So that here's where community come in. Community comes in and it plays this role to remind you that these are lies. That your husband or your wife's not, not your enemy. That you're fighting a spiritual war that it's worth the fight. That you stick in there and that forgiveness is possible because Christ has forgiven you. It's reestablishing the word of God to be true and trustworthy and something you can hang on to. Community reinforces that. You try to do that on your own, you will run out of energy. And the enemy knows that. God knows that. That's why he says, hey, I got about 24 things here you guys can do for one another to shore each other up so that you can remind each other that he's a liar, he's a deceiver, and he does want to defeat you, but I don't want that. He put people in your life to say, no, don't give up. No, that's not the goal. The goal is to honor Christ, and yes, you can forgive, and God can restore. But you see, that's what God's saying. You have an enemy that's telling you the other things. So community provides that piece of God's plan for us that helps us do that. The third thing is, I said, community is God's provision for your marriage. And there's a lot of things I would love to say here, but they didn't give me the whole time. They say you've got to go to some meetings or something. But in Colossians 1.17, it says, in him all things hold together. And my point there is that community helps remind us that the very most important thing that you'll ever do is to walk with Christ. I love that I, got, I really do have you know, some of my closest friends over here and they've been reminding me for 20 years that the most important thing I can do is walk with Jesus. Because if they don't, then I'm going to think I don't need to. And you go, wait a second. I, yeah, i got a seminary education. I've been in ministry for a lot of years. But I am just like everybody else that's sitting in here. If I start running my own offense and I quit abiding and walking with Christ, it is a matter of time before I'm a casualty and my marriage is a casualty. Then my kids kids are casualties. You know, we've all played that game. The idea of abiding in Christ is the most important thing I could beg you to do tonight. But I'm going to tell you, besides God telling you to do that, surround yourself with people that will remind you there's nothing more important that you'll ever do. Because you'll never be the husband or the wife or the dad or the friend. You can be if you don't walk with Christ, you will always be less than what he's called you to be. Isn't that a beautiful picture? He says, no, I've called you to be this and I'll help you do it. I'm gonna surround you with people that are for you. And they're not after you. They're for your victory. They're for your fulfillment that you might walk in the things that God's called you to walk in. They're God's provision for you. I love this. And I they're God's provision that you get to be free and authentic. You know, uh, Romans 8, 1 says, there's no condemnation in Christ for those who are in Jesus. So there's no condemnation. Galatians 5, 1 says, it was for freedom that Christ set you free. So you have the chance to be free. You to be free who you are, authentic, but free to change. Free not to stay in the muck and the mire that you dug, that we dig ourselves into See, community helps pull you out of the mud like nothing else. They're the people that come along and say, Scott, don't stay there. I get it. I'm sorry. Confess it. And let's keep moving. I'm not leaving you. And there's nothing like having somebody in your life that comes alongside and says, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to fight for you, and I'm going to be there. And as long as it takes, we're going to get out of this rut. Because Christ has given us the power to do that. He has given us the power not to be selfish. Because selfishness is at the core of everything, guys. Whether you're self-protecting or self-promoting. You want to make life about you, your community helps you understand that life is about Christ. And I will tell you, there's nobody sitting in this room that left alone will not drift to either self-promoting or self-protecting. That's, that's, the, that's the way we're wired. But God said, I got this. I've got some answers for you, and it's each other. It's where we get to be the hands and feet. said, it's, it's a provision because he teaches us to abide in him. It's a, uh, it's a provision that we can be free and that we can come to the end of ourselves and, and be who Christ called us to be. It's a provision for us in victory of counsel. There is absolutely nothing in my life that has not been improved by the counsel of my friends who walk with Jesus, nothing. From my finances to the intimacy in my bedroom and the encouragement to pursue my life, there is nothing that's not been improved by the counsel of my friends. I don't mean the opinions of my friends. I mean the counsel because I've been fortunate to surround myself with a couple of guys that they spend their time in the word. So when they offer me encouragement, they offer me God's encouragement. See, it's not just warm bodies. It's warm bodies that walk with Jesus. And when you get together and you encourage each other to do that, then you build a pretty darn good fire. And that pretty big fire can really cook some bacon. You can really get some things done when you have a few people walking with Jesus. Because you just don't let each other stay where you were. And there's great freedom and joy in that. And the victories and the, the counsel, I mean, the, the things that, that I've, I've personally watched in 18 years of people trusting each other with counsel has been amazing. And I have literally decided there's just nothing in my life that isn't better, that isn't improved, that isn't more full and well-counseled than when I, when I trust my friends with walking me through stuff. Because I'll also tell you this, and it's probably true. You can check in your own little, little brain. Anytime you don't want somebody to know that what's going on, it ought to give you a cause to slow down. Because just a simple smell test, if you don't think those who love you are going to buy it, they're probably not. And that's God probably telling you, tap the brakes. So that you have that provision, that protection, I said it's encouragement. I said encouragement in Philippians 2. Encouragement is the greatest fuel you have to change. And I mentioned that that it's so wonderful to have somebody in your corner. And it is so awful not to. What we've watched in the last 40 years, with the exception of of the Christian community in some corners, (coughs) excuse me, is that by the time people hit 50 and they're through doing some of the social things they do regularly. They move towards real isolation, whether it's permanent or, I mean, intentional or uh, by accident. But we see people over 50 really start moving towards isolation. And it becomes a very, very sad deal to watch them move into this season of life and wonder if people really care about them and they're not sure who they can trust or, or where to turn. The scriptures are very clear that we should have people around us to the end because that's God's provision for us. And the last thing I say is it's, it's protection. It's, it's friends that God has raised up to tell you, hey, there's a cliff there. And if you keep going in that direction, you're not, gonna, you're not gonna like it. It's not gonna go well for you. You've heard all those, the way we've coined that deal. But the truth is in Proverbs 24, it says, hey, listen, you got a cliff coming. And it's your job, if you love somebody, to tell somebody there's a cliff coming. But after a certain point, if they don't want to take your counsel, it's not your responsibility if they choose to drive over it. But it's your your responsibility to let them know it's coming. And so, the the beauty of that is you only have to go over one or two of those bad boys before you start listening to your friends. Because when you know they're for you, dang, it's sweet. It is really sweet. Well, I could, you might guess, I kind of talk about community a lot like probably 12 hours a day, so I have much to say, but um, well, let's leave it there those three reasons isolation will kill you you don't, you don't want that you've got an enemy be wise to that and understand it's one of the greatest provisions God's given you I would, I would argue with my life friends that community for marriage is not a me- negotiable item it, it means everything to be able to have that support group going towards the same goals to serve the same God with the same power of the Holy Spirit. Sounds like a pretty good plan. It's a non-negotiable, so don't let it be. Thank you for letting me be here.